the language of the first half of life and the language of the second half of life are almost two different vocabularies, known only to those who have been in both of them. The advantage of those on the further journey is that they can still remember and respect the first language and task. They have transcended, but also included, all that went before. In fact, if you cannot include and integrate the wisdom of the first half of life, I doubt if you have moved to the second. Never throw out the baby with the bathwater. People who know how to creatively break the rules also know why the rules were there in the first place. They are not mere iconoclasts or rebels. This is a quote from the audiobook Falling Upward, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life by Father Richard Rohr. The quote is read by Father Rohr. Welcome to the daily second half horsemanship podcast, where we talk about the path to better horsemanship in the second half of life. The podcast features a thought for the day six days a week and a more in-depth topic discussion or interview on Saturdays. I'm your host, Paul Sherland. There are a number of ways of defining the second half of life. One way is to look at the spiritual side of life. To apply the quote from Father Rohr to horsemanship, I think he's saying that years of instruction and practice are valuable, but the task of the second half of life is to integrate the wisdom of that education in riding and horses and life in new ways in the second half of life. We learned in an earlier podcast that the crystallized intelligence of the second half of life is focused on combining ideas and concepts from many sources. Our wisdom comes from having many books in our mental library. During the second half of life, we can use those many sources of information to develop solutions to the challenges we face. We're not bound to follow one teacher or tradition in working with our horse. We honor those teachers by creatively breaking the rules to make progress in our horsemanship journey. We have the courage and the knowledge to recognize that our horse-human relationship is unique. We have the freedom to use what we've learned in new ways to help our horses and ourselves. Father Rohr quotes the Dalai Lama as saying, Learn and obey the rules very well so you will know how to break them properly. I was not making progress with my horse. Over a period of years, our relationship became more tense. He had bucked me off twice and had thrown me one more time after bucking. I'd suffered a concussion and bruised ribs as a result. I attended clinics and I tried to apply what I'd learned. One of the clinicians did an exercise that used a flag to move the horse in half circles at the end of a 12-foot lead while moving backward. This was used in the clinic to reset the horse that was being difficult or uncooperative. So I practiced that maneuver and became pretty good at it. And the relationship between my horse and I became even more tense. I attended a horsemanship seminar with some very well-known clinicians. At the end of the seminar, I asked several of them for advice. They kindly listened as I described the bucking exhibition that my horse put on 
every time we entered the round pen. I'd bring him into the round pen saddled, I'd take the halter off, and let him move to the rail. He would immediately start running around the pen and would start bucking, even though I was in the center and was not doing anything to encourage him. The clinicians told me not to let him get away with this. I needed to stop him and turn him when he started to buck. But when I tried that, he became even more tense. It was not working. To be fair, these clinicians did not know me or my horse. They didn't know his history or our history together, other than my brief description of the round pen troubles. Their advice might have been good for most of the other riders with similar problems, but it was not working for my horse and me. So one day I tried something different. We walked into the round pen as, as usual, and I removed his halter. He started towards the fence to start his stampede, but I turned and sat on the mounting block. He looked back at me and stopped. Over five to ten minutes, he would take a few steps toward me, stop, and take a few steps more. Finally, he was just a couple of feet in front of me. He stopped, lowered his head, half closed his eyes, and let a breath out. He just stood there with me, not grazing, even though there was grass in the round pen. He stood there with me until I stood up, put the halter back on, and led him back to the barn. That was the turning point in our relationship. The horse that would try to pull away from me while being led would walk beside me without a halter. He was as relaxed with me now as he had been tense before. Maybe I'd be guilty of anthropomorphism by saying he was forgiving me, but that's okay. I'll always believe he did forgive me. Thanks for listening to the Second Half Horsemanship Podcast. If you're also on the Second Half Horsemanship journey, please leave a comment on our website, secondhalfhorsemanship.com. We're always looking for topic and interview ideas. When I use links to books, products, and services in the podcast, some of those links might be referral links. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases. I earn a small commission when you purchase something through those links, but you will not be charged more by using the links. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews help the podcast reach a larger audience. Thank you very much.